be back today. Can you guys hear me okay? This feels like it's coming off. Okay, I might mess with it a little bit. Anyway, deal with it. So, once again, I'm going to read this text for this morning. This is uh, wrapping up the Beatitudes series that we've been going through for a while now, and uh, I don't know why uh, the elders are intent on giving me the hard passages at the end of a series, but that's how it goes, I guess. Anyway, uh, let's read that again. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. It says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, Our family was out on vacation last week and we got to go to Florida and we got to go to the beach and relax and uh, you know, go to dinner together and pretty much just do kind of what we wanted to do. And um, it seems like in the summer, that's just kind of the thing that the working person works towards, you know, this time of rest and vacation and whatnot. And uh, that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not, uh, we shouldn't necessarily feel bad about that. But when I, when I think about me sitting around on the beach or the condo, ordering what I want at a restaurant, just taking it easy and life is good, Uh, all these things that we look forward to, um, it kind of doesn't really sound like what Jesus has been talking about, especially in these couple of verses when he mentions reviling, persecution, um, evil uttered against us on his account. Um, It's a little bit different. Um, And if we're Jesus' disciples, we're called to something quite a little bit different. And that's not to say that we don't have rest in him. We have peace in him. We have joy in Jesus. Of course, all those things are true. All these beatitudes that we've studied up to this point kind of map this out. However, you can't have all of those without this last one. If we're living this way, if we're living true righteousness as we see it in Jesus, then we can expect these things that we've just read to happen. Again, when others revile us and persecute us and utter evil against us, falsely on his account. So let's jump right in. Um, Do we have anybody, I know I can raise my hand, Ashley can raise her hand, any fans of the Office television program? I knew we would. I knew I love this church for some reason. Um, Ashley and I watch the show way too much. And uh, for me, it's kind of like my white noise uh, sleep machine, you know? I just kind of turn it on literally to fall asleep sometimes. And we just love watching that show. And um, there's a character on there named Angela Martin. Anyone familiar with Angela? Um, Angela is this very judgmental and snippy, sort of stereotypical Christian uh, on the show, supposedly. And uh, she um, is a big stickler for the rules and everything and all that. And there's an episode uh, called Performance Review where she... Uh, She makes the comment as she's walking in, or she's about to walk in to get a performance review, and she says, I actually look forward to performance reviews. I did the youth beauty pageant circuit, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. I really enjoy being judged. (laughs) She said, I I believe I hold up very well, even to severe scrutiny. End quote. Um, It's obviously a lot funnier in context if you watch the show. Uh, But, you know, they didn't hire me for 
being a comedian, I guess, but it's obviously a joke, um, but the reality is that none of us enjoy judgment, uh, none of us enjoy scrutiny, none of us enjoy people doubting us, um, and we especially don't like the idea, and, and this is me speaking, that someone maybe doesn't like me, or maybe even someone hates me. These are not pleasant thoughts, are they? But again, the reality is that these things, um, these qualities that we've seen in the Beatitudes, they come, these, these kingdom principles, these attitudes, these behaviors that Jesus has outlined for us, and really that he lived out for us, they come with a great cost to us. But they also come with a great reward. And so uh, our big idea for today is that Jesus' call is one of suffering, holiness, and great reward. Jesus' call is one of suffering, holiness, and great reward. And a couple of things within that that I want to look at today is, uh, first, the reality, and also the reward. So this sermon is aptly titled, uh, Reality and Reward. So first, the uh, reality. As we've read in all these uh, Beatitudes up to this one, even this one, what do they all start out with? What's the word that we always read? Blessed or blessed, I guess, depending on how you want to say it. Blessedness is what we're talking about. And the reality is there is a price for our blessedness in these Beatitudes. And y'all forgive me if there's some overlap from last week. I didn't get to hear Jared's sermon, and uh, really a lot of what we're talking about is very similar. Um, so if I say something he said, you just have to deal with it. Um, but again, going back to, through the series, uh, the different things that Jesus said about blessedness. Blessed are those uh, who are poor in spirit, those that mourn the meek, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, which was uh, last week, I believe. And now this week, blessed are those that are reviled, persecuted, have evil spoken against us on his account. So I think we, one thing that we can see in this is persecution, and again, this may be some overlap from last week, persecution is the mark of a true disciple. Persecution is the mark of a true disciple. Um, in his commentary on the Sermon of the Mount, John Stott, when he talks about persecution, defines it like this. Persecu persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Let me say that one more time. Persecution is simply the clash between two ir irreconcilable value systems. And as we look in this text, the two value systems that we're looking at are righteousness and worldliness or unrighteousness. And when people see righteousness displayed in us, followers of Jesus, uh, it clashes with worldliness, doesn't it? Has anybody uh, heard that or seen that in their own life? I think we can all say yes, we've probably seen that, if not in us, in others. Um, and righteousness from following Jesus in all of these Beatitudes will, without a doubt, clash with the world and the non-believer. And why is that? Um, I think one reason that is, is because holiness or Christ-likeness exposes sin and darkness in our lives. It's like a flashlight in a dark room. God's holiness shining on our sin, it, it chases away 
the darkness. The light always chases away the darkness. And one biblical example of this, I'll give you a couple, probably my favorite one, and um, yeah, probably my favorite one is uh, the example of Isaiah in chapter 6. Has anybody read Isaiah chapter 6? If you haven't, go read it. Um, And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah has a vision of Jesus Christ in his glory, in the temple, on his throne, majestic, uh, with light shining from him, smoke filling the temple, six angels, you know, or however many it was, uh, singing out over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Put that image in your mind for a moment, if you can, and just imagine with me what Isaiah witnessed. And what was the result of Isaiah witnessing this amazing display of God's holiness and purity and perfection. It was that Isaiah became completely and utterly undone because he witnessed the holiness of Jesus and he saw his sin and he could do nothing but fall to his face and said, I am undone. And that's what his holiness does to us. That's what righteousness does to the world even. Another example Uh, When Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up on the mountainside and we see Jesus was transfigured before them. It says his face shone and there was uh, smoke that enveloped the mountain. Again, we see God in his presence, smoke and might and glory. And they heard the utter holy voice of God come upon them and it said, this is my son, right? It goes on to say the disciples were absolutely terrified when they heard the voice of God. Just being, let me hit this as much as I can, just being in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, it brings utter humility. That's the only thing that we can bring to him because holiness exposes us for who we truly are. Do you have any friends in your life that um, may, on a much smaller scale, do that to you? And, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Um, I have a friend named Michael Cooper, and uh, Ashley knows him, I, Uh, Our family knows him, and he's a really good friend of mine. I was on staff at a church with him for a number of years, and uh, he he was a youth pastor. Anyway, now he's a pastor down in DeSoto County, and he's just the most loving person, you know. He's the most humble person, um, just caring, just listening person, you know what I mean? Um, When I have conversations with Michael about my life and Um, I I just kind of walk away thinking, gosh, all I did was talk about myself. You know what I mean? Um, I I just felt like whatever Michael said to me or just being around him, I just kind of felt like, man, like he is, he knows Jesus. You know what I mean? Do you know anybody like that? Anyone who you spend time with, you're like, that person knows Jesus and and it shows, you know, and I can feel that. And and I'm not saying that as a comparison to Michael and and, man, I wish I could be more like Michael. It's, It's not that. Um, though he is a good friend, uh, it's just that when Jesus is living and the Spirit is moving and working in a person's life, you can't help but notice that, and it should bring some certain amount of conviction in our hearts if the Spirit is working, right? You guys following with me? Um, When we witness to the lost, even, have you ever wondered why, uh, I'm not going to, it's a broad stroke to paint, but you know, Jesus is not popular in, in pop culture, in, in modern culture, right? In fact, you could even say that Christianity is, is pretty offensive, isn't it, to some? And, and when we uh, say you're witnessing to a lost person, 
uh, and maybe it's a friend or a family member or whatever it may be, um, people get offended when you talk about Jesus, even if you just brought it up. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? I don't want to talk about that. Please do not bring that uh, up around me. You know, you, you fill in the blank. You know, whatever reaction you might have had from somebody, it, it, the gospel, and again, this is the whole thing, Holiness, Jesus, who he is, his character, what he calls us to, these clashing uh, world uh, or value systems, it's offensive to us. Um, it exposes our sin and it exposes our darkness. Now, uh, just to back up a little bit, um, again, what we said, the Beatitudes uh, up to this point, all the things that we read, blessed and uh, poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, etc., all of those things show us as Christians how we uh, should live, right? Uh, what does righteousness really look like? Well, it's mapped out in these Beatitudes through Jesus, ultimately, in his life. So it's what righteousness looks like it is basically how, what I would say to summarize uh, the Beatitudes. Um, but again, you can't have those seven or eight things, however many they are, without having the final uh, few uh, that, that mention persecution and, and reviling. It's just, it doesn't, it, it's going to happen. Um, look to me, with, uh, look to scripture with me um, in Acts chapter 7, verse 52. It says, uh, Stephen in the great assembly, uh, he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Again, prophets, persecution, this is not anything new. These are those that stood up for Jesus, that pronounced his coming. They were murdered. And again, uh, in 2 Timothy 3.12, you guys might have uh, gone over this last week, it says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe or might. It says we will be persecuted. And there's tons of other historical examples of Christians, um, just to get real graphic about it, Christians that were fed to lions, Christians that were sawed in two, and Christians that were dipped in pitch and set on fire as human torches for Nero's entertainment. These things happen. There's historical record of that. Persecution is going to come. And uh, in modern news today, uh, you may have heard, has anybody heard of uh, Pastor Andrew Brunson? Is that name familiar to anybody? Um, I read about him the other day, and this is a pastor that's imprisoned in Turkey right now, actually. Um, and by the way, imprisoned by the Turkish government, okay? By the Turkish government on all kinds of false accusations for why he's there and what he's doing and how he's stirring up this rabble, you know, among people or whatever, when by all accounts, this guy is spreading the gospel in the kingdom, right? And he's still in captivity now. Does that sound like anybody that you've read about or that we've talked about today? Stirring up people, um, sharing the gospel in the kingdom, people throwing false accusations at him and imprisoning him. Does it sound like anybody? And probably one of the most famous uh, examples um, would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah. And he was imprisoned by the Nazi regime in a concentration camp. And uh, imprisoned, he was 
um, constantly uh, persecuted for his faith um, and ultimately never backed down uh, for standing up for the cause of Christ in these horrible, deplorable circumstances. And eventually he was executed in the Flossenburg uh, concentration camp. But listen to what he says about suffering and what he wrote. He said, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The disciple is not above his master. Following Christ means passio passiva, suffering because we have to suffer. That's why Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church. In one of the memoranda drawn up in preparation for the Augsburg Confession, similarly, similarly defines the church as the community of those, quote, who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel's sake. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace, end quote. Bonhoeffer knew what suffering meant more than we ever will. And what if we could see it the way he wrote about it, as joy and as a grace from the Lord? You read in Scripture, discipline is from the Lord, right? Who likes discipline from God in this room? None of us. What if we were to see suffering as grace from God, as a gift from the Lord? In Acts 5, 41 and 42, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And what was the result? Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. They weren't scared. They were rejoicing in their suffering and continued in ministry for his sake. But if, I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, um, we kind of prefer not to suffer. Is that safe to say? I don't like to suffer. That would be the other side of it. Um, John MacArthur says, as long as people have no reason to believe that we are Christians, or at least obedient and righteous Christians, we need not worry about persecution. It kind of hits deep, doesn't it? As long as people have no reason to believe that we are Christians, at least obedient and righteous Christians, we need not worry about persecution. I'll give you a personal example of this. Um, Ashley and I have lived in Midtown for uh, a little over a year now, right? A year and a couple of months. And we grew up, I grew up in Memphis, out of East Memphis, uh, in Jerry's neighborhood. And uh, we um, moved to DeSoto County when I was in middle school. And I won't go into how bitter I was about that um, as a young man. But um, anyway, uh, we uh, ended up moving back here, you know, last May. And I was so excited, ultimately, because we wanted to be closer to Mercy Hill, closer to the communities. Uh, God made it clear to us that this is what he wanted us to do, and so we followed him on that. And, uh, but if I'm being honest, I was very excited because um, I was getting to move back to Memphis. I was looking forward to that. You know, like I thought, hey, this is great. This is the city that I, I spent a lot of my childhood in, and I love it, you know, and uh, there's so many things to do, and... Um, I just felt like, wow, I'm, I'm getting to come home, you know? Um, but if I'm being honest, like, again, it was very easy, and it still is. This is I'm just being as uh, 
you know, transparent, I guess, as I can be, it's easy for me to say, um, I'm just going to be a Memphian, and that's going to be that, right? I, I'm going to enjoy where I live uh, because it's, it's great. And it's, uh, you, know, I live, you know, I love the green line. I, I love all the places to eat and hang out around here. And then end of sentence, right? Glad I moved into Memphis, you know. I don't want to fall back into that. I, I want to understand, like, what is, um, I, I don't want to avoid suffering because I'm not willing to step forward in the process of discipleship for Jesus. Does that make sense? I don't want to rest on my laurels, as it were, and say, hey, we, we did it, Ashley. We moved in. We're here. This is what God called us to, and then that be that. That's not it, you know. If I'm afraid of suffering, if I'm afraid of persecution, if I'm afraid that my neighbor is going to look at me sideways because I brought up Jesus in conversation, then what am I doing? You know, why did I move? Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. When people speak well of you, what does that mean? You're just one of the guys or the gals or just one of the neighbors. You know, there's nothing distinctive about me. People speak well of me because I'm like them all, right? I'm unique just like everyone else, right? Um, I don't want to fall into that because I'm scared to suffer. So we see in Scripture that Jesus sets the ultimate example as the persecuted one. Look to him. See what he suffered in his lifetime and ultimately his death. And if we're going to be like him, that's what we're called to. We read in uh, Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus, the one that gives joy had to go through it to give it to us. And then in Mark 3, uh, chapter, excuse me, 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, Then he went home, Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And listen to this. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. His own family at some point was persecuting Jesus because of what he was called to do, what he was doing to advance the kingdom. And so the gospel story goes on to show us that Jesus was literally persecuted to death. Literally persecuted to death. So the expectation of suffering and persecution then is really a call to holiness. And adversely, um, likewise, holiness is a call to suffer. That just sounds great, doesn't it? When you uh, got your Christian sign-up sheet, did it say that on there? your invitation card, get ready to suffer, you know. But again, as we've read in these Beatitudes, as we live out these righteous uh, things that Jesus is calling us to, we can expect it. Um, I think, Jared, you mentioned last week, you talked a little bit about Jim Elliott, the missionary in, uh, in an Amazon region. I don't know exactly where. Uh, was it the Aka Indians? Aka Indians, I believe. So Jim Elliott and his wife and uh, a group of other group of young people. How old were they, by the way? In their early twenties? Okay, um, I believe it was early twenties. This group of Christ followers 
felt so compelled to go into the Amazon jungle, an unexplored region with an unreached people, to share the gospel, to spread the kingdom. And they did it boldly. Um, I'm not going to tell you the whole story about it, but just a personal story about that about that story. Um, several years ago, I was uh, filling in for a friend, uh, leading worship at his church in a little church in Hernando, and he was he was preaching that morning. And uh, after the music and at the end of his sermon, he uh, showed a video, and it was a Stephen Curtis Chapman song, and it featured uh, it was a concert video that featured. Uh, a song that was about Jim Elliott and his family and these missionaries, right? And the song, you may have heard it before in the 90s, is called For the Sake of the Call, right? Anybody want to lead that real quick so we know what we're talking about? Okay. It's a good song, um, even for Stephen Curtis Chapman. Forgive me, Lord, for saying that. But um, I, I, that's, that's a joke. I, he's a great musician. Uh, and it was a great, it's, so my point is, my friend Tyler's preaching, and, and his, it's a similar topic in his sermon, and he, he, he shows this concert video of Stephen Curtis Chapman leading this song. It has video of the Indians uh, and pictures of the missionaries and just this neat graphic going on. And, and for some reason, um, for some reason, uh, that song uh, in that moment, and, and even afterwards and even now, it, there's something about it that gripped me so strongly to see these people that so clearly knew the call of Christ on their lives and were so moved to do that that they left everything and um, some eventually lost their lives at the hands of these um, indigenous people for the sake of the call of Christ because they knew their reward and that's why they did it. And it's, it's, like I said, it still shakes me every time I think about that because that's such a huge thing. I mean, to realize that call on your life, to say, this is what I was made for. This is what God has called me to, and I'm going to do it. Um, and that moment, that whole thing, uh, really is what God used to call me to ministry. Um, I'd been doing it here and there by then, a little while. A couple of years, but I, at that time I knew, Jesus, you're calling me, and uh, that was it. They were willing to suffer, though, these men and women. Um, I'm not saying that I'm anywhere on par with, with these, these folks, not even close, but I want that. I want to have that. I want to have that resolve. I want to have that, just that deep conviction of the call of Christ. So, to keep going, as we're, as we're called to suffer as we're called to holiness, really. How do we endure? How do we do it? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that we've been given. He's the guide that we have. He's the power. He's the sustenance in our lives. Uh, look with me in John 14. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us 
his spirit. Abiding in the spirit of God will give us the power. It will give us the courage. It will give us that resolve that we want to follow Jesus in the face of persecution and suffering. So that's the reality. But the reward is much greater. And the reward that we have is that Jesus paid the price for our blessedness. We said before, there was a cost for us to be blessed, right, as we read all the Beatitudes, but Jesus paid that price for us to be called blessed. It says in verse 12, it says, uh, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And y'all forgive me, I was telling Chris right before we started, I have a lot of scripture today, but I, in my limited preaching experience, I just believe that the best uh, evidence of the Bible is the Bible. Does anybody else agree with that? Um, so we use lots of scripture today. Rejoice and be glad. Where are some other places that we see to rejoice and be glad? Well, in uh, Luke 20, uh, excuse me, Luke 6, sort of the parallel beatitude, it says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Leap for joy. First Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I want that. I want the spirit of glory and of God to rest upon me. Romans 5.3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. I want endurance in my life. Does anyone else want endurance in their Christian life? And then James uh, 1, 2, 3, 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Guess what? I want steadfastness too. Does anyone else want that in their Christian life? And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, all these things come at a cost. We look to the gospel and different things that scriptures say about rejoicing in the gospel. This is why we can rejoice in our suffering and in the reviling and the persecution that we may face. And again, as Jesus ultimately says, we will face if we're to walk in righteousness in this life. Romans 5 verse 2 says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And down in verse 11 says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Rejoice. Jesus is our reward. And and Jesus is going to be our reward now. Jesus is going to be our reward forever. And Jesus is going to be our reward always and eternally. Does that fire anyone up? You know, this was probably, studying for this passage, uh, one thing that Brad was talking to me beforehand was to really internalize what we study and and to to pray that God would would stir something up within us so that we can preach it 
or share it or whatever from a place of need and desperation. And it's been difficult because it's, God has shown me in, in his presence how utterly uh, pathetic I really am as far as a sinful uh, person that's in need of his grace. But I'm thankful for that because the gospel shows me that I have Jesus now and I have him forever and I have him always. Suffering now, it's limited. It's not forever if we are in Christ. And here's the reality of the gospel. We, we call this sermon the reality of the reward. And again, the reward is ultimately Jesus, but the reality of the gospel is this, that God in his love sent his son Jesus to redeem those that were lost in sin and in death. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He was the only one, the only one that could bring us back and reconcile us to the Father. The New City Catechism puts it this way, Jesus needed to be fully human in order to be our substitute, but he needed to be fully God in order for his obedience and suffering to be perfect and for God's justice to be completely and eternally satisfied. We're redeemed in him and our reward is him, now, tomorrow, and forever. And in this life, we're not alone. We have the Spirit with us always, now, tomorrow, and forever. In Zechariah, it says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. By His Spirit. And also, we have home forever with Jesus, not on this earth, but a new heaven and a new earth. This is the gospel, and this is the strength to endure. Um, I want to... uh, The last thing I wanted to share with you guys, um, we like to sing hymns occasionally here, and uh, one that really jumped in my mind as I was studying and um, reading and whatnot is called The Christian's Hope Can Never Fail. Has anybody heard that one before? It's very old. In fact, the, the, the writer is unknown, but it was supposedly written in 1838. You can see it in the uh, Gadsby hymn, hymnal, which go read that hymnal sometime. It's great. But I'm going to read this to you real quick because I think it really summarizes well this hope that we have in the midst of suffering in a broken world, persecution and reviling. We travel through a barren land with dangers thick on every hand, but Jesus guides us through the veil. Oh, the Christian's hope can never fail. Huge sorrows meet us as we go, and devils aim to overthrow But vile infernals can't prevail. Oh, the Christian's hope can never fail. Sometimes we're tempted to despair, but Jesus makes us then his care. Though numerous foes our souls assail, the Christian's hope can never fail. We trust upon the sacred word, the oath and promise of the Lord, and safely through each tempest sail, Oh, the Christian's hope can never fail. Will you bow with me as we uh, prepare to celebrate through the Lord's table this morning? I want us to bow and pray. Um, And as we prepare for that, let us think about for a moment what it is we're doing, what it is we're celebrating as we take of the bread and the juice. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating Jesus' broken body 
and shed blood on the cross for us, those he has called out of darkness and into his light. So as you approach the table and tear the bread and dip into the juice, let the body and the blood of Jesus shed for you, let that be all that is in your mind as you pray and thank him for what he's done for us. Let's pray together. And, and Van, you can come on up and um, take the elements as we uh, begin. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that um, though there's suffering, though there's persecution, we may never see the likes of uh, what Jesus saw, and we may never suffer to the point of shedding our own blood, but Lord, in whatever form it comes, we're thankful that we have a Savior and a Redeemer, and that is Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you've shed your blood, you have had your body was broken for us, Lord. And God, we celebrate that today as we take these elements. Lord, just help us to leave remembering today that though you have called us to an incredibly high calling, Lord, we're not alone. Your spirit is with us to guide us, to give us grace in all its forms. Lord, we are thankful for that. God, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for redemption. Lord, help us not to leave today forgetful, but Lord, help us to go through this week remembering what you've done and who you are, and God, just carry this truth with us. And as we uh, engage our neighbors, Lord, help us to have a burden and a passion for the call that you've put on the disciples' life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come to the table.